Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi there. This is Cecilia, content producer at the Webby Awards. Are you making great work on the internet? If so, I want to take this moment to remind you that the final entry deadline for the 27th Annual Webby Awards is coming up on Friday, December 16th. This year, we're expanding our categories across websites and mobile sites, video, advertising, media, and PR, apps, dApps, and software, social, podcasts, games, and new this year, metaverse, immersive, and virtual. Check out all of our categories and enter your best work by the final entry deadline at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Think big, be kind, doodle Democracy dies in darkness. Boom. Journalism matters, not the enemy. Butterfly in the sky, bitches. Hey there, and welcome back to the Webby Podcast. I'm so excited to be back, and we have a very special guest to help us kick off our first episode of this 10th season, LeVar Burton. LeVar has been an important cultural contributor for more than 40 years, first as an actor, where he's had big roles on big shows, including Alex Haley's Roots, where he played the lead of Kunte Kinte on the show that defined miniseries and storytelling for a generation. Among many other roles, he went on to play Geordie LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation, a role he's played regularly for more than 20 years. But through all those roles, it was a show he helped develop and host aimed at celebrating and promoting literacy that I remember most, Reading Rainbow, which aired for more than 15 years and helped a generation of children fall in love with storytelling. Through the years, LeVar's passion for children and literacy has never waned, and he's now a Webby winner for his podcast, LeVar Burton Reads, which is, quite simply, a podcast where LeVar reads and narrates his favorite short stories. With over 100 episodes, it is a joy to listen to. So we get into all that, but first we start off talking about LeVar's early years. I've been a big fan of PBS for, for most of my life. Um, the Roots experience for me was one where I was really introduced to the power of the medium of television in a very up close and, and personal way. I, I was able to, you know, throughout the eight nights of, of the, the, the original broadcast of Roots, I was able to see this nation become transformed, changed around our common understanding of what we mean when we talk about chattel slavery. And the opportunity, it seemed to me, to apply that sort of power that's harnessed by the, the storytelling power, harnessed by the delivery system, right? The ubiquitous nature of television in our lives, to harness that power in the service of creating a link between children who are learning to read 
and making them readers for the whole of their lives. It just made a lot of sense to me. My mother was an English teacher. So, you know, I grew up in a family where reading was like breathing. You, you, you had to read in my mother's house. Yeah. <laughs> there was just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, the opportunity to really see the power of the medium in action, um, it, it impacted me in a very personal way. And I, I, I then saw the medium of television as a, a vehicle for doing more than simply entertaining. It's interesting to hear you talk about roots in that way. Um, there's something, one of the interesting things about it was that it was, you know, it took place over those that string of nights all in a row, which was yes. somewhat different for the time. It kind of reminds me a little bit of... It was absolutely revolutionary. It's the first time that, had been ha- that, that, it, that television had been programmed in that way. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of yeah. reminds me a little bit of what you see some sometimes today in sort of these streaming services where they like release mm-hmm. all the episodes at once, you know, and that how yeah. how that really drives so much more kind of conversation and interest. It does, and and, and so in, in a sense, you know, that 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 broadcasting strategy was definitely way ahead of its time before Roots, um, uh, and I think there, there weren't very many miniseries before Roots. It was really yeah. one of the first, but they were broadcast in weekly installments, and so. It, it was um, it was very different for America to return night after night to a serialized story, and and the momentum grew almost exponentially every night. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I I think it is yeah. it is fair to say that that Roots was an early precursor to the uh, the the nature of the binge watching, the way we consume our our television content these days. I'll just add a slight little tidbit here, which is just to emphasize like how global mm. Roots was for maybe our younger audience who, who aren't as familiar with it. Um, I actually watch, uh, I have some French family and used to spend some of my summers in France. And I actually watched mm. Roots some years later mm. um, in France, in French, uh, you know, sort of subtitled and or, uh, translated with subtitles. And it was, it was the same. I mean, I'm sure it was different, but it had the oh, same yeah. in, uh, impact in France, you know, like it was the yes. same thing that everybody was talking about and, that sort of like captivated everybody just like it was in the United States. So it really had a, just a, a really a global impact at the time. Yeah. And that, and that for me is the power of storytelling, right? That we can, um, that we, we can with, with story, we can have that major uh, of an impact on the world, not with every story, but there are certainly stories that, that do serve that purpose. And it's really important in, culture when when we can when we can find one of those yeah and you you know you spent um you know much of the 80s and the 90s really on i'm sure many projects but one of them was reading mm. rainbow mm. um and you said so one of the interesting things again me looking back at it is that you know you of course you've sort of featured these books for children and read them but also brought in additional, you know, visual and narrative elements, sometimes music, sometimes just some like flourishes and drawing and stuff like that. And also a a narrator um, that was not, Mm -hmm. was not the Mm -hmm. author to really kind of bring these books to life on television. Right. And then the rest of the, the the half hour was spent exploring whatever the theme uh, of, of the book suggested. We, we actually went to a, a place in the world, a location, it, it, it was an extraordinary show for its time because it, it, it really 
did sort of display the the magic of literature and what it offers to us in our lives in terms of a, a, a window on the world of not just places, but ideas. And, uh, and, and, and is a real spark to one's imagination. You mentioned there earlier that, you know, your mother was an English teacher and that, you know, reading was sort of like a, not, not only a, it was a requirement, but a second nature to you. Can you talk a little bit about your early your early reading life and maybe some of the books that that inspired you and 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 sort of got you in a, you know in addition to your mom certainly but really got you on the path to, to reading? I remember the, the the book that I was reading when I got what reading was about that the transportative nature of the activity right that you can in the pages of a book travel anywhere in the universe with your imagination. I was reading. Uh, Captain's Courageous, Rudyard Kipling, hmm. kind of a sea pirate story. <laughs> hmm. But I remember when I finished that book, I just, I, I was consumed with this, really, this weight of sadness. And what I know now, which I didn't know then, was that, that, that sadness, that, that depression was caused by, I'm now... I'm going to miss this world. I'm going to miss these characters. But I, I had become so mm. engrossed in the story and involved and attached that the, just finishing the tale, coming to the end, catapulted me into this, this sort of funk. And I, to this very day, when I'm reading a particularly good piece of fiction, I slow down the last couple of chapters because I know what's coming. I like finding a series of books by an author that that I can read like the entire series. I like to binge books like that. I have series by authors that, you know, I've over, over time, you know, takes a couple of years for an author to write a book. So, you know, they don't, they come out sporadically, but I've gone, I've read the entire volumes and, and now I can go back and read them in quick succession, right? Um, like 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 binging, uh, uh, you know, a television series, and, and I and I love that because I, one of the things that I love most about reading is being immersed in those worlds, right, and living in my imagination. Yeah, it sort it reminds me sort of also as you describe that of that feeling when uh, you find that a friend hasn't read a book that you love, and you the je- yeah. the jealousy of of that that they get to read it for the first time still. Yeah. Right. Right. That's kind of a, a delicious schadenfreude, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's reverse schadenfreude. Yeah. You know, poor, poor me, but good Happiness for, you. for them, though. You know, like a sort of admiration yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're so lucky. But it sounds like, I mean, you touched on the storytelling thing. Is the storytelling part of it and the imagination part, is that what led you eventually into acting? I, th- I think it's certainly a part of it, yeah. Um, I, I discovered theater arts at a, at a time in my life when I was really focused in another direction. I was, um, I was interested in becoming a, a, a man of the cloth. I studied for the priesthood earlier in my life, but very, very early. I mean, it was 13 when I entered the Catholic seminary. So I was really focused in that direction. And, and it was at seminary where I discovered theater and theater arts and, and immediately fell in love. And so as I fell more and more in love with, with theater, 
um, I became less enamored with the vocation. And in fact, the, the, the two events sort of dovetailed. Um, my interest in becoming a priest waning and, and my desire to, to become an actor really getting up ahead of steam. And how, was that a was that a internal conflict for you, or was it, or was that just was that something it felt natural? You found a new passion, and it was you know jump into it. It, it felt like the, the a, a very seamless transition. I'd already had questions, mm. right, about um, about the wisdom of uh, cutting myself off from a whole bunch of life experience um, because of the collar. Um, because of the, the, the office, the, the station of the office, you know, becoming an actor, really, there were no limits to what I could experience. What are some of the, you know, I think you're very, you're well known for the root role in the roots and for Star Trek. What are some, and what are some of the, your most favorite roles as an actor? One of my most favorite roles, um, you know, I, I've, I have loved playing Jordy the Forge for, um, for all of these years. Um, Having recently had an experience where I, I got a chance to play him again um, after a quarter of a century, right? Um, and I, I found the experience absolutely fulfilling and um, and thrilling. Other roles, I, you know, I I played a deaf mute once in a TV movie. But another true story, Donald Donald Lang's story called they called it at that time a very inappropriate title and today's context, but the, the, the name of the TV movie was called Dummy. I, I started it with Paul Sorvino, um, the late Paul Sorvino, the late great Paul Sorvino. Um, another true story, one in a million, the Ron LaFleur story, um, TV movie in the 80s about uh, a kid growing up in on the east side of Detroit, goes to prison for armed robbery, learns how to play baseball, and um, is eventually paroled into the custody of the Detroit Tigers and Billy Martin. In his first season in the majors, he went to the All-Star game. Um, great, great story. Um, I think all of the characters that I have um, been able to play in my career have brought something of value to me in my life. And I think that's, that's, one, of the, that's one of the gifts of, of what I do. Um, I think one thing I observe from, you know, reading Rainbow is that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a amount of time where you are in addition to doing all the work on it. You're also, I believe like really, you know, meshing yourself in those books and choose helping choose those books and, and all that, and all that that entails. And certainly mm. in the roles in the acting roles, you're choosing what, you know, what stories you want to tell or express as a, as a theater artist. How do you think, you know, how do you think about those choices? Like what, tell, tell me a little bit more about what was meaningful to you and, in the types of books you were sharing and the types of roles you were playing? Well, choosing books for a show and choosing a character for, you know, um, for, for a project, they're not really the same process as I see it. Um, but it is about, at the end of the day, it's about, it's about taste and integrity, isn't it? You know, um, I, I, I believe I have a, a pretty solid point of view about the world I live in and my place in it, what my function is. And I see my function as is, is one of a storyteller, right? Um, 
my job is to bring stories to the people, and I do that in a variety of ways, whether I'm acting or directing, writing, producing, public speaking, podcasting. I'm a storyteller. Mm. It's what I am. Yeah. Right. It's not simply what I do. It's, it's, it's right. what I am. Right. Um, and and I try and 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 have made it a priority throughout the course of my career. And Roots gave me the luxury of being able to do this. Roots gave me the luxury of 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 some sort of choice, right? Uh, it gave me the luxury of not having to take everything that came along just because it came along. Um, and, and so that the idea of choosing stories that make sense to me for the audience for which I'm telling the story and, and telling a story that um, makes sense to me on, um, on not just an emotional level, but on a, a moral level. Um, I try and, and keep both of those things alive in my decision-making process, right? Um, it has to be a story that has value to the audience, but it also has to be a story that I can find value in sharing. Yeah. And you've, I mean, I think you've also done a lot of work um, helping children with literacy in general. Well, I, beyond, you know, reading Rainbow, I, 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 don't, I don't, I can't say that it was purposeful. I didn't, I didn't start out my my career as an actor thinking, you know, I'm going to become a staunch advocate for childhood literacy in in my career. It sort of happened, you know, um, to me, right? It wasn't. I, I didn't in any conscious way guide or direct this. I've I've, I've certainly uh, bought into it. You know, I, I've I've I did the work necessary in order to honestly um earn that title as literacy advocate and i'm 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 really proud of that the the um <laughs> the the idea that there's a sort of a recipe there, there there may be for for some guys i'm not i'm not the kind of guy that can do anything that he wants i'm the guy that's taken what has come my way and made the best of it um and and also found tremendous value in the in in the not just the work but the journey that the work has taken me on right my my advocacy um you know i guess essentially began in my mother's house you know i was raised in sacramento california our hometown right yeah we have that in common sacramento as you well know is the state capital my mother was a very involved in, in political life in, in, in Sacramento when I was a kid. Um, and when I started, and, and, and Roots was, storytelling is political. Everything's political. Reading Rainbow in its own way, it, be, it became political to me to, to, to travel to Washington, D.C. and to testify before House and Senate committees um, on the value of continuing to fund PBS. Right. There are politics involved in everything. And um, I think as an artist, you learn that the, that, that the art and the politics actually go together, that that one is an extension of the other. And um, and I, I believe that to be true. And I, I you know, I sort of make decisions and live my life accordingly. 
Yeah, I mean, the art is uh, the opera. The art is the opportunity for expression of some sort of values, right? Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. And as far as I've been able to determine, literacy is the key. It's the linchpin for uh, any human being being able to rise to their own highest level of expression. You can be successful beyond your wildest imaginings, but you won't have reached your most full potential unless you are literate in at least one language. At least that's my belief. That's my belief. Um, and, and, you know, looking around, I, I don't think I'm wrong. I mean, what, what? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. One thing, as you say, that you've you've seen, you've taken the things that have come to you. But I, I would mm-hmm. also suggest that, you know, you have you've been a storyteller for for quite some time, mm. um, and, and I mean that in a very positive way. You know, you have but the, the, <laughs> the tools of you know, but like the the tools of storytelling. I mean, while maybe some mm. of them are the same, they're still writing and mm. pens and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the it just sort of strikes me that you know you, you you sort of sort of started off promoting literacy and telling stories through reading Rainbow from as one place, which was on television, um, mm. and you know these mediums have really evolved. But you know mm-hmm. you're still evolving too. Yes, a- absolutely. You're you have not you have not stood by and and stuck with you know stuck with one thing. You've you've you know, maybe you think about it as what's coming to you. I sort of look at it and see somebody who's really been at the forefront of, mm. of looking at and thinking about new ways. And, um, you know, even like you have this podcast now, LeVar, Bur- LeVar Burton reads, which has been around for, mm. I, I think five years now and has, you know, uh, I said a hundred episodes, it's a lot of episodes. And we, we are, uh, we have, uh, we are, we just started recording yesterday, season 11. Yeah. Um, every season is, is 12 episodes. And, you know, I guess, you know, some people could say, well, podcasting is like radio. It's kind of an old school thing. But, you know, for people who listen to podcasts, it's it's not radio because nobody ever listened to radio mm. in all the places that we listened to, to podcasts. Right. And nobody ever, right. the, the intimacy and stuff is, is just very different. 
Um, but here you are, you're still telling stories, but in this new medium, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was really interested in podcasting when it first came out, you know? Um, and I, I, I consciously watched the space and, um, and it was the, the exciting sort of burgeoning nature of, of podcasting that, that drew me to it. Also that, and it, it was an opportunity to, to, to be creative without asking anybody else's permission, you know, as an actor or director or producer, you have to get the buy-in of a studio or a network or financiers. Um, but I saw podcasting as, as, as an opportunity to cut through all of that. And it, it would just be me and a story and the microphone. And, and that's the, that's the nut of it. That's the, that's the heart of it. Um, and that was, that was incredibly attractive to me. It also, I discovered podcasting at a time in my life when I really needed some sort of creative outlet that I could control. I had immersed myself in, in, in the effort to take what was a television show reading rainbow and, and translate it to uh, tablet computers for kids. I, I felt that the, the mission that we had at, at, at reading rainbow, the television show wasn't done yet, that we still had some value, um, especially in this, this new digital world. And, and so I, I, I thought, well, let's, let's see if we can't take what was a television show and, and, and make it accessible to kids through this new medium of, of, you know, tablet computing. And, um, I never expected to dedicate myself full time to being an educational technologist. And so <laughs> at the time I was really feeling a, a deep desire to engage in something that was more creative for me. And, and podcasting said, over here, kid, <laughs> come over here. Is it fair to say that most of the most of the stories you're reading are somewhat sci-fi fantasy, or is that just the ones that I've sort of gravitated to? I, I lean heavily into speculative uh -huh. fiction. Okay. Um, it's my favorite genre to read when I'm reading for enjoyment. Okay. Um, but it's not limited to that. I mean, I've read everybody from Haruki Murakami to um, Alice Walker. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Um, I, I, I do read a lot of, of speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy, um, all of those genres, um, get heavy play hmm. on the podcast. Cause it, you know, first and foremost, I do, I, I do the podcast for me. <laughs> God bless as it should be. I mean, that's what, that's what makes it interesting, right? Reading aloud, re taking a writer's words and creating a, you know, a one-off performance piece. Cause that's really what mm -hmm. it is. I mean, I'm performing the story, right? I, I, you know, I'm investing all of my skills as an actor in the in the storytelling, and um, and I love that. And 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 so to be able to to do that with stories that I love and want to share, and with authors that that I I love and want to share. One of the things I'm most proud of is introducing my audience for the for LeVar Burton reads to voices they might not have ever encountered yeah. were it not for this podcast and. And I, I love that that opportunity to shine a light on unheralded and unheard voices. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the blessing of a great curator, right? Is that once you trust them to to share stuff that's good, yeah. then you know the the leeway of what you can share 
doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be popular or well known once you trust the person you're sharing it with you you know you're kind of willing to and almost the, try anything if they if they've, if they've read or shared great things before and the cool thing about that trust is it's it's been built up in 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 my audience yeah. over time you know i i was recommending books to them you know when when they were 8 and 9 and uh and i'm still sort of serving that that function as a, a curator for for literature in some regard. And I, I, I love that uh, about my career and about my relationship with, with what I call rain, rainbow heads. How, how do you think about, so there's this other side of the technology part too, right? Which is that there's, there's so many screens and there's so much video and, you know, there's certainly mm. a, there's certainly a world mm. in technology, which is, is definitely not promoting literacy and is maybe hindering literacy. It's, it's not the world you're operating in, but it's, it's out there. How do you how mm-hmm. do you think about that, and are you, are you worried about that? I feel like I, as a storyteller, I, I I exist in a world where there are a lot of different choices for how people consume their content, and I I, I get that I'm you know I'm I'm in favor of it. Um, as a society, we have to understand how to put you know proper guardrails on um, on our relationship with these devices. We haven't done a very good job of that. Um, we're, we're sort of in the wild west right now um, in, in terms of just the sort of uh, unfettered access we give these devices in our lives. Um, I understand that there are the, 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 the genies out of the bottle. We're not going to put the cap back on that bottle. And my battle, as I see it, is to provide an alternative for kids and their parents. Um, and for those who, who believe it to be important to develop a balanced diet of content consumption. Um, those are the folks that I'm I'm trying to reach to give them an alternative to to screen time, right, um, and to encourage a, a, the development of a habit of going to various sources to you know get your content fix on, um, and the idea that that. By picking up a book, you can engage in your imagination. You can go anywhere. I can't stress this hard enough. When you are reading, you make the movie in your head, right? When you sit down in front of the tube and and watch somebody else's movie, you get their version of the movie, which can be hugely entertaining, especially if the costumes and the lighting and the cinematography, on top of being a good and engaging story that has value. But you can't be sitting there with words on the page and what that inspires inside of you, what imagery you come up with. There's just no comparison. and so I, I think that as a species, we have, at this point in our evolution, have a tendency to default to the least resistance we are offered in terms of our choices as human beings. We don't want to work hard, necessarily. We have, we have developed the desire to have everything delivered to us, delivered to us now, Right. The holy grail in, in, in tech is, is to produce products that, that have ecumenical um, access over, across all uh, devices, ag- device agnostic, they call it, right? Um, 
but I, I, I don't believe that to be the Holy Grail. I believe the Holy Grail is actually one where you are striking a balance between, you know, that which is being fed to you and that which you seek out in, in your storytelling. Well, it's so interesting to think about it as you do as it's not about stopping or, you know, one, some of these things. It's about having more or better or more varied, if you will, access to the others. It's, yeah. it's like, it's, it's like, let's, it's, yes. let's not try and stop right. this. Let's just add more of these other things. No, no. When, when, <laughs> when the printing press was invented, we didn't stop right. telling stories <laughs> <Yeah>. orally. <laughs> we, we still told stories yeah. orally. We just, and then we enjoyed them, you know, in this new format. Um, and as the, format, the delivery systems continue to change and evolve, I think we can't get hooked on the delivery system. I think our our attachment, our allegiance needs to be to the kinds of stories that we consume. I don't think we're all that discriminating yeah. right now in terms of the kinds of stories we consume. We're just like, shiny, oh, I'll go watch that. Oh, there's 10 episodes of that. Let me go over there. I think reading is absolutely about what do I want to munch on right now what is it i want to feed myself yeah and there's a there's a big difference um, a few i would say not random but just kind of things i wanted to ask you before we go um one of them you know you're talking about you're talking about art being political um i think it was it was over the summer i think it was, it was mm. you you were on the you had a sort of surprise appearance on the daily show um, it was, it was, it was great. Mm -hmm. uh, you essentially, it was, you, you wanting to talk about, um, conservative efforts to ban books and the, the way you sort of did it with, uh, the way you all set it up, which yes. was really fun was you started to talk about a book and then it like zapped away, mm -hmm. um, because like it had been banned and then it was like the next book and it went right. away because it had been banned. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about that. Um, uh, I'm sure you, you worked with Trevor Noah's team on sort of getting that together, but also just about, you know, the sort of your, your voice on protesting banned books, really. I feel like it's very much, um, in my lane, you know, to, to talk about these things. And, and again, I'm not, I'm, I, 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 I buy into the political nature of life. I, I, I get it. And I feel very strongly that I have, um, earned the, the trust factor I've earned the, the, the um, credibility capital that I possess. Um, and I've earned it over time and I've earned it, um, I think um, by demonstrating a, a certain consistency of, of, uh, of effort. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. So when I get a call from, you know, from Trevor Noah's team or from John Stewart's team, um, I'm, you know, I, I, I love driving home the message in as w many ways as we possibly can. Um, and it, it, first of all, it's thrilling whenever you, you know, right. you have people calling you asking you to be you, you know, when, when the Big Bang Theory calls and, you know, wants me to come on as LeVar Burton or, you know, doing a guest shot on, on community as myself. I mean, I, there, there, there is value, I think, in having, you know, reached that station in, in, in my life and in my career where um, I am known for yeah. certain things. I'm known for something, right? Um, the, 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 it's, not, it's not just flattering. It's deeply satisfying in as much as, you know, 
I really care about the things that I promote. I, 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 I think I said earlier in this conversation, I, I stand for what I believe in and I'm, and I'm willing to be vocal about it in a business where that isn't always appreciated by everyone, you know? Um, they're, they're, I, I, I get on my Twitter feed all the time, you know, the equivalent of shut up and act, right? Or, right, right, you yeah. Know, I, I, I like Those John Star Trek, but I, I yeah. cannot stomach your political views. Yeah, sure. yeah you know, they're, they, they're entitled to their opinion, um, certainly. Um, but, uh, and you know, in the, in the, in the block button is very effective. <laughs> um, tell me, a, is there a banned book that you love recommending to people to read? Oh my gosh. How, 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 how many, yeah. how many catcher in the rye is on yeah. many banned lists as is to kill a mockingbird mouse is on banned list. Can you imagine this? Is a, <laughs> it's just insane. And so much of the conversation that we're having right now around, um, around banned books also involves a measure of censure that's going on in terms of, of, of how we educate our kids and what texts do we use? What do we give them access to and what do we keep from them? And this whole conversation about critical race theory, and, 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 and I will say to any and everyone who's willing to listen, the conversation that we are having about critical race theory is based on a lie, a bullshit. Because critical race theory is not taught at the elementary school level. It is a college level paradigm through which to look at systemic systems in, in the United States and how racism in America has impacted these systems. That's not for kids. It's for adults. Yeah. So, so, so part of this this conversation is really about censorship and, and, and our unwillingness as a nation to be honest with ourselves about who we are and what our story is. Yeah. It's a fight over what our is really, right? It is a fight over who our is. It absolutely is. This is, this, this, this is, um, and this is America. It has always been thus. It has always been so, right? There have always been a, a, a group of people um, who believe that, that this American experiment is for them exclusively. And over time, you know, we have shifted the identity of the other in the equation, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, read, read, I was reading the other day about um, about Idaho and its Chinese population um, at the turn of the century, and how um, eventually all of the Chinese uh, in in Idaho were sort of driven out because uh, of, of the unwillingness to allow the law to be changed. That um, that Chinese women, the immigration laws prevented women of Chinese descent from entering the country. So there was, there was, and it was illegal for a Chinese man to marry an an Anglo woman. So there was no opportunity to build a a real Chinese community in Idaho. And so they don't have one. However, in some parts of Idaho, they still celebrate the Chinese New Year. (laughs) Oh, man. And what that means, what that says to me is... There's a whole lot of people who are lighting firecrackers and don't understand why. And that's America. 
Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, maybe this is a good place for my last question. I, did you get to work with Alex Haley on Roots? Very closely, yes. Can, can you tell me a little bit about like what that was like and what did you learn from him? I'm sure if you got to work with him, it must have been probably an experience you've kept, you'll keep with you your whole life. Alex was like a big brother and a, and, and a father and a mentor um, all, all in one. Um, I talk a lot about my storytelling mentors and, and, um, and, and Alex chief among them. Um, and what, what I learned from Alex is the, really the power of the, of oral storytelling and the need and necessity of a storyteller to be authentic in order to be as, to be successful. Right. Um, Alex, Alex was the kind of human being that when you were in his presence, he was laser locked on you. He wasn't looking over your shoulder at a party to see who more important was coming in the room. Um, he was, he was that guy, right. That, that, um, at a, at a dinner anywhere, he would go into the kitchen and speak to the, the kitchen staff, um, and say hi, because he, he, he was a man of the people. He wrote a story that was foundational to the understanding of who we are as black Americans. And, and he walked that talk. He walked it. Um, I can't say enough about how much I admired him. LeVar Burton, it's been such a joy to have you on the Webby podcast. You're a Webby winner. Congratulations. It's just a privilege to get to talk to you. I, I, I appreciate the Webbies right back. Peace and blessings to you and your audience. Um, I wish you well. I want to say a huge thank you to LeVar Burton for stopping by the Webby podcast. To listen to his Webby award-winning podcast, LeVar Burton Reads, go to LeVar Burton Podcast, L-E-V-A-R-B-U-R-T-O-N podcast.com and follow him on social media to keep up with news of his podcast and other projects. His Twitter is LeVar Burton, L-E-V-A-R-B-U-R-T-O-N and Instagram is LeVar.Burton. You can reach me on social at DMD Likes. Our editor is Kate Mishkin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Our producer is Cecilia Betzel. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is our president. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is the Webby Podcast.